I pray for you, you pray for me. And watch God change things. Amen. Pray. P-R-A-Y. Praise, repent, ask, and yield. Amen. When we pray to the Lord, we can have confidence that he will change things. If you can grab your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. What a joy it is to be with you all this morning. We praise God for our music ministry setting the atmosphere for the word. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 7 through 17. For those who are joining us this morning for the first time, we, we do give you, uh, want to welcome you, amen? Once again, and we praise God that you are here with us. We are continuing a series called Bloom Where You Are Planted. Last week was the first sermon in that series. and Today we're going to talk about trusting God in tough seasons. Trusting God in tough seasons. What you hold in your hand or what you see on the screen is the very word of God. It is sufficient. It is errant, inerrant. It is powerful to change hearts and lives. Let's read it. Starting at verse 7. I wish that all were as I myself am. But each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. To the married, I give this charge. I, but, not I, but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband. But if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and the husband should not divorce his wife. To the rest I say, I, not the Lord, that if, an, uh, if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with them, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would, re, would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? How do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we just thank you for this morning, for this is the day that you have made. and We will rejoice and be glad in it. Pray, Father God, that you would speak to your people. Speak to them, Lord. We have numbers of, of people in here who are just afflicted in, in a number of ways, Lord. And we need your peace, God. We need your presence, God. We need your fire, God. We need your fire to burn in us, Lord, like it burned in Jeremiah. Let it be shut up in our bones, oh God. We need your Holy Spirit to bless what we're doing now, Father. Forgive us. As individuals, forgive us as a congregation, Lord. We repent and we ask you to cleanse our hearts, Father God, and to move mightily. Father, I pray that you would bless me with clarity, with power, with brevity, with a clear picture of your cross. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. What a joy again to see each of you here this morning, and always a privilege to be able to sit under God's word um, and to learn together. In fact, that's what a disciple is. A disciple is a learner of the word of God. And 
And all of us as disciples, when the Word of God is preached, we, we should become learners. Um, the Apostle Paul, of course, is writing to the church of Corinth, the church that he planted and started maybe three to five years ago. He's now away, and, and he's gotten word that they have kind of got off course. They've went astray. They started uh, thinking on the world's terms and not on God's terms, trusting human wisdom over God's wisdom, which is displayed in His Son, Jesus' cross. Now they're starting to question the cross, and they're putting human philosophy, human wisdom over the cross. And as a result, anytime we get away from the cross of Christ, anytime we get away from the life, death, burial, and resurrection teachings of Jesus, we're going to experience brokenness. But the truth is, even if we are not away from the cross, even if we are, are not away from the teachings of Jesus, we're going to experience brokenness because we live in a fallen world. The Apostle Paul is writing this letter to the church of Corinth as a, as a pastor. He wants to, to lead them into green pastures. So in chapter 7, he begins to deal with relationships, and he deals with all kinds of relationships. And he's trying to point them back to the cross, point them back to Jesus. You know, whether you're married or whether you're single, uh, the truth is, is that all of us, we go through times of, of discontentment. There are some who are here who are married, and you remember the time that you just couldn't wait to get married? Remember your engagement period? How excited you were and how your husband or your wife could do no wrong. Then you got married, and that slowly began to change. And now all you can see is they're wrong, maybe, right? Or maybe you're here today and you're single. And in your mind, salvation, life will begin when you get married. All you can think about is being married, and, and maybe you just feel miserable because you haven't found the one. No matter which category you're in, here's the truth. Marriage does not complete you. Marriage is meant to complement you, but it does not complete you. And if you're single and you can't wait to be married because you think that you will then be complete, you are going to be miserable while you're married. Because no human being can complete you. They may complement you, but they can't complete you. Your heart is shaped to be completed by one, and his name is Jesus. Now, I remember being single and believing that lie. If you are discontent now as a single, you will be discontent when you are married. Because the issue is not whether or not you're married. The issue is whether or not you're finding contentment in Jesus. If you're married and you are discontent now, and the only thing you can think about is being single again, and you're daydreaming about being single, and you think that being single is what is going to satisfy you and make you complete and give you life, you are setting yourself up for failure. Because being loose from that marriage is not going to make you complete. Only Jesus. So Paul is writing the church of Corinth, and he's writing pretty much in this chapter, he, he talks about a number of categories of people. Three categories. And he is encouraging them to, to bloom where God has planted them. He's encouraging them, wherever you are right now, singled, engaged or betrothed, married, widowed, he's saying, fight for contentment where you are. And he talks about three categories over the next ten verses. The first category, category number one, he addresses the unmarried and the widows. Addresses the unmarried and the widows. And category number two, he addresses two Christians who are married, and one spouse wants, wants a divorce, or maybe both spouses want a divorce. Then in category number three, 
he addresses a Christian who is married to a non-believer. And Paul is about to lay down some truth for all three categories. And in some ways, it's going to be a, a tough truth, but we want to remind ourselves that, that God is able to help us in tough seasons. And if we trust him, we can find joy in whatever season of life we are in. And we've got to fight the lie, the lie that Satan tells us that completion and contentment comes when we have the reverse of where we are right now. And we've got to trust God. Amen? So let's start off and let's look at how he addresses these three categories. Verse 7. I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. So Paul addresses the unmarried, and by unmarried here, in this context, I believe that Paul is specifically addressing those who have been married once before, but who are now divorced or separated. Verse 11 says, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. So I believe he's, he's speaking to this specific group. And he tells them both, he says, I wish that all were as I myself am. What does he mean? He means that he wishes that everybody in the church was single like he is, right? Now, we want to understand a couple things. Number one, we want to understand that Paul was probably not always single. Paul was a Pharisee and a rabbi. And in order to be a rabbi Pharisee, it was required that you be married. So mostly all theologians would agree and say, Paul was married, but something happened. Either he lost his wife to death, or when he became a Christian, they got a divorce. So Paul has what I believe a unique perspective as he is writing. And he's not writing as one who just has his, just his, cloud, his head in the clouds, but one who has probably experienced both lives. Now, is Paul exalting being single over being married? Is he teaching here that one should not pursue marriage at all? I don't believe that's what he's doing. Why? Because Paul told Timothy in his letter to Timothy, that false teachers preach that marriage, that people should abstain from marriage. Marriage is beautiful. We read in Ephesians chapter 5 some of Paul's most poetic words. He believes in marriage. He's pushing people to be married. But at the same time as he's writing this letter into Corinth, he has a specific group of people in mind, and I believe he's talking to those who are older, who are older and who are single, and who have uh, been divorced or who... Uh, are, are widowed, and he's telling them, listen, if you can, remain single. And as we read the rest of the chapter, we know why. Because he's saying, the kingdom of God needs you undistracted. That's just what Paul is. He has this, this perspective that says, those in Corinth, we need to reach the city. And if you are uh, divorced, or if you are widowed, and you are older, um, I believe he's saying, if you're older, Commit yourself to the mission of God. Well, how, how do I come to that conclusion about one who is older? 1 Timothy chapter 5. He writes these words to his protege, Timothy, but refuse to enroll younger widows, for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry, and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying what they should not. So I would have the younger widows marry, bear children, manage their household, and give the adversary no occasion for slander, for some have already strayed for Satan. 
Amen. So to, to the church at Ephesus, he says the exact opposite because he's dealing with younger widows, and he's saying, tell them to hurry up and get married. They've got too much time on their hands, right? <laughs> so he's not exalting being single over married. Rather, he is ministering to the body in a particular way for their particular needs at that time. All right? So he says it is good for them to remain single. It's good for them to remain single. Why? Because being single is good. And in our culture, uh, we, we believe the lie that being single is second class or less than. That's not what Paul teaches. Paul teaches that it is good. My singles are like, please be quiet, Pastor. I feel you. But you have to start seeing your singleness as a gift and not as a curse. That's what Paul goes on to say. Look, I wish that all was, were as I myself am, but each has its own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. So when we talk about a gift from God, I think we can look at this two ways. Number one, no matter who you are, if you are in one of the categories that we spoke about earlier and that we're going to address today, it is advantageous for you to stop seeing where you are as a curse and to start seeing where you are right now, currently, as a gift. As a gift right now. You're in a difficult marriage, see it as a gift. You're single right now, stop looking at the miseries of being single and see it as a gift. Look at Paul, he was single and he was complete because he found his completion in Jesus. He was single and he was free. He was able to go on missionary journeys all around the world and do incredible things. He didn't have to check in with his wife before he went somewhere. He was able to be productive for the kingdom of God. Why? Because he saw where he was as a gift. You say, how in the world can I see my marriage as a gift? You don't know my husband. You don't know my wife. You hadn't been around my terrace, I mean my children. How in the world do you see, how, how in the world can I see this time in my life as a gift? Well, here's how. Because we serve a sovereign and a good God who allows us and plants us in different places and in different seasons for his glory. Wherever you are right now, if you are a Christian, God takes your bad, even a bad decision to marry someone that you know you shouldn't have been married. He takes it and he uses it for his good. Joseph, when you're in the pit, he's with you, it's a good season. When you're in prison, he's with you, it's a good season. Why? Because he's placed you there and he is with you. He's with you. So we got to start seeing it as a gift. But second, there is a special spiritual gift that is given to people. And that is a a spiritual gift of singleness. For some people, singleness is so easy, and they're not even thinking about getting married because God has specially called and anointed them to do it. That's what Paul picks up when he says this. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn in passion. For some people, that's a gift. They can be single and not be affected by it. They can exercise self-control. But here's something for you. The reason they can exercise self-control is not just because it's a gift, but it's because their eyes is on the giver of the gift. Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. It's not something that just happens. It's something that is given as we bask in the presence of God and enjoy Jesus. The Holy Spirit begins to work on us in a supernatural way and give us control. He says it's better to, to marry than to burn. So he's saying if it's not your gift, even to the, the widows that's, that's in the congregation and, and to those who are divorced, he says if that's not your gift, if you are burning with sexual desire and passion, and you are falling into sexual immorality, he says, get married. In other words, pursue marriage. Now, we want to be careful here. We want to be careful. He is not saying, get married to anybody you can get married to. 
The Bible teaches against a believer marrying an unbeliever under no circumstances ever, 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 ever is that anointed or blessed. Okay? What about Hosea? If you got to point out one person in the Bible to make your case, you probably shouldn't be making your case, all right? That was a description, not a prescription. Second is as Christians, we don't just want to marry anybody just because they're a Christian. So just because someone's saved and you say, well, I'm burning with passion, he looks good, he says he loves Jesus, Let's just go to the altar. Let's run to Las Vegas and let's give. That's not how it works either. And we'll see in a second why. Because marriage is a permanent union. So you should want to give thought into and prayer into who you're going to marry. Because once you're married in the sight of God, except for a few uh, exceptions, you are married. Amen. But he says, get married. You say, well, how, how in the world should I, I, I want to get married, I'm burning with passion, what should I do? Well, I, I want to encourage you really quickly, we're going to pick this up in a couple weeks in a lot more detail, but pray. And throw yourself into your prayer life. Pray. Devote yourself to pray. Pray that the Lord would send you someone. Enjoy Jesus. We're going to talk a little bit in a minute about what that looks like, but pray that God will give you a heart that would allow you to pour yourself into Jesus and find contentment into Jesus by reading your word and praying and, and, and disciplining yourself to, to spend time with him daily. By, by taking care of yourself, doing, doing your best to, to take care of yourself, to, to look good and to, by putting yourself around other Christians, looking for opportunities to fellowship and to hang out with other believers. By not being the pickiest person in the world. Right? I said before, everybody wants tens. All right? Sixes want tens, right? Hey, I'm a six. Got lucky, amen, but it don't always work out that way. All right? Like, you think you a six? <laughs> think more highly of yourself, Pastor, than you all, amen. <laughs> all right? So he deals with the unmarried and the widows, he said, if you can, and if you feel called to, fall deeper in love with Jesus, devote yourself to him, and serve the church. And that is so foreign and so hard for us to believe because we don't see the eternal value that can come out of devoting ourselves to the mission of the church. And not only do we not see the eternal value of devoting ourselves to the mission of the church, we don't see the present joy that we will receive by doing so. There is very few, if any, joys in this world that I have experienced than leading someone to Jesus. Very joys that I have when I look around the sanctuary and me and the other pastors and we see men and women that we baptized because God allowed us to have a conversation with them about Jesus and they're rooted and growing. And I say, give yourself a year. Say, pray. Next year, Lord, let me experience that joy while I wait on my spouse. And I guarantee you that joy will be intoxicating. That joy will be uplifting. That joy will cause you to want to experience it again. And even though singleness may be tough, and even your desire to be married may still linger, you will have satisfaction, and you will find a deep purpose. Second category that Paul deals with. It's to those who are married and who are Christians, but man, they are miserable. Work 
So to the singles, the reason I say you want to make sure that you find your completion in Jesus and not in another person is because so many marriages start off as a fantasy and end up failing. And if Jesus is not the center of your heart, okay, when that man or woman disappoints you or goes rogue on you or doesn't fulfill your wish list, your center breaks apart. So during this season of singleness, trust God, look to God, make Jesus the center, live out of Jesus. Desire to be complimented, not complete. Because in this text, we see probably two Christians who probably started off really loving each, each other, and one of the Christians is now looking for a way out. And Paul addresses it. Listen to what he says. To the married, I give this charge, not I but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband. But if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. Now, these are some tough truths, so bear. Make your mind submit to the scripture to what we have formulated in our mind, but to the scripture. This is God's word. This is Jesus speaking to us. This isn't, this isn't me. Get angry at me. Your problem is not with me. It's with God. I love you. Amen? Listen to what the scripture says. It says, to the married, I give this charge. Not I, but the Lord. What is he doing there? Why does he, why does he say that? What Paul is saying here is that I'm about to tell you something that Jesus himself said pretty much verbatim. This is verbatim. <laughs> this is what Jesus taught while he was on earth. This is what he handed down to us, the apostles. So hear what I'm saying. Look at what he says. The wife should not separate from her husband. Now, in Matthew chapter 19, turn your Bibles, we're halfway, halfway home, Matthew chapter 19, we're going to read the words of Jesus on marriage. And the thing I want you to walk away with from this point is that God highly esteems marriage for the two Christians that's really struggling in marriage, like two Locomotives on the same track that's going full speed at each other constantly. God highly esteems marriage. And except for a few reasons, once you are married, it is permanent in the eyes of God. Okay? So we're going to learn from Jesus. Matthew 19, going to start at verse 4. He answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. That's language of permanency. Same language that we use when we take marriage vows in sickness or in health, right? Verse 6, so they no longer two but one flesh what therefore god has joined knitted together let no one separate tear apart verse 7 they said to him why then did moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and send her away he said to them because of the hardness of your hearts moses allowed you to divorce your wives but from the beginning it was not so and i say to you whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery So Paul is pigging off of Jesus' words. He's saying, Jesus taught this, that once you're married, you are married. And he gives an exception. He says, except for unless your spouse breaks the marriage covenant by committing adultery. And we want to understand this in the context of Matthew. In Matthew chapter 18, uh, Jesus just taught 
Peter and the disciples that a disciple of Jesus is one who has a forgiving heart. He said, how many times should I forgive my brother in one day? And we could put how many times should I forgive my spouse in one day? He said, seven times 70. Other words, more than you can count. So even here, when he gives an exception for adultery, because someone's like, yes, my spouse cheated on me 15 years ago. I forgave him. I'm fine. I want a divorce now. It's not because of adultery. It's for something else. This is my way out. Uh, that's, not, that's not the way to look at it. It's not the way to look at it. He says, no, if your spouse is persisting in adultery and you can't find it in your heart to, to, to forgive them and, and it becomes unhealthy and, and you, uh, you, you are free to go from that marriage because they are not keeping that covenant. But Paul tells the church here in 1 Corinthians, he says to the unmarried, I'm sorry, he says to those who are married, I give this charge, not I, but the Lord, that the wife should not separate from a husband. That word separate is, is the same word or close to the same word for divorce. And that's why singles, you know, we want to be prayed up about who we're going to pursue for marriage. We want to make sure they're a Christian. We want to make sure we go through counseling, premarital counseling. We offer that here as a church in order to be married at Forest Baptist Church. One has to go through eight to ten counseling sessions. Each session is an hour and a half long. They also are coupled with a mentor couple who will mentor, mentor them in specific areas. Why? Because God takes marriage serious, and we do too. Fifty, some, you know, statistics say up to 50% of marriages end up in divorce. It's because we go into it very lightly. Some of us put more thought into the house we're going to buy and the car we were going to drive than the person we were going to marry. Like, oh, man, he's Morris Chestnut fine. Amber Williams fine. That's the only woman I can say there and still live when I get home, amen? <laughs> and, and it's true, amen. <laughs> and they had a little money, had a little game, knew what to say. Baby, I just wish I was a tear in your eye. Be born in your eye, live on your cheek and die on your lips. <laughs> you were gone. That was it. You see a Christian? Yeah, he said, for God so loved the world. Now you're miserable. You're like, I want out. Marriage is a permanent act because it was ordained by God, and it has a great purpose. Christian marriage has a great purpose to show off God and his goodness to the world. The world should look at our marriages and say, yes, it's messy, but it's a different type of messy. It's a messy that points to a Messiah. It, it, it experiences pain and there's brokenness, but they do something differently than we do. They repent and they forgive, and they keep working at it. Shows off Christ's love for his church and the church's respect and submission to Christ. If you're two Christians here today, together and you are just not clicking and y'all feel like two locomotives running together, I want to encourage you to make up in your mind that divorce is not an option. Get down and work hard to make your marriage work. Stop being lazy. Stop being passive. Stop complaining and whining about what's not right and work at it. The reason why some of us are not working at our marriages is because we're lazy and because we are seeking satisfaction in something else other than Jesus. If you are a member here at Forest Baptist Church, you have no reason an excuse to not be getting help with your marriage. You have pastors and ministers here who are willing to walk with you through the toughness of marriage. And marriage is tough. And if you're married and you're like, oh, it's just been a honeymoon for the first seven years, well, seven years later I want to hear what you say because God is going to ordain some things to come to make your marriage tough because marriage sanctifies put you in some situations, allow you to experience some losses in order to bring both of you to your knees. you 
got pastors, you've got ministers. Go to them. Get help. Get counsel. We would do everything we can to sit across from you, to hear your stories, to hear your background, to hear both perspectives. We may sting you sometimes. You may walk out not liking us, but I'm telling you, it's better to get to work on your marriage and to have joy and peace rather than to just be lazy and to say no one can change him, no one can change her, and be miserable. Ten years later, you're still miserable. Well, the Lord said we can't get a divorce, so we're just going to be roommates. That's miserable rather than getting down and working hard. That's why we encourage every married couple here to, to come to the marriage retreat. It's only one weekend, but I'd rather, if, I, if I'm in a difficult marriage, what's more logical? To go to a retreat and hear the word of God with a spouse that I think that can't change and give that spouse a chance to change because they're under the word or sitting at home being miserable together. I, that's how I would come, but, right? If only you knew. Well, y'all sitting around at home being miserable together, it's not going to change anything. But Isaiah promises that when the word of God goes out, it will not come back to him void. It's going to accomplish what he set forth for it to accomplish. And who knows, that may be in you, that may be in your spouse. So why not at least give it a chance? Let your neighbor say, it's tight, but it's right. Right? Can't say amen, say ouch. <laughs> all right. We're growing, we're learning, we're journeying together. No condemnation in Jesus. But let's work. Let's get down. Let's work. Your family members need to see you two healthy, especially if y'all go to church Sunday after Sunday, sit under the word of God, and then go home and everybody knows y'all miserable. How's that going to minister to your family? How's that going to minister to your cousin? You should come much church. Why? Right? So get down and work. And you, here's the hard truth. Your marriage may never be the way you want it to be. Your marriage may always be tough. It may always have elements that stink about it. Your spouse may not change. But at least you can lay your head down at night knowing that you have done all you could do. As the song say, when you've done all you can do, do what? Extend. God is in the business of changing people, young and old. Ask Nicodemus. A Christian is not a person who comes to the conclusion that God can't change anyone. He changed you. Your mama didn't think you could change. I don't know. That's just, that's just the way she is. He changed you. God is in the business of taking dead hearts and giving it life. Can't teach an old dog new tricks. I don't know. I don't own a dog. That may be true. <laughs> but your spouse is not a dog. It's a human being. And God is in the business of saving human beings. Now, divorce, he says, the Bible teaches, in cases of adultery, you are free from that marriage. But also... We'll see soon in cases of being married to a person who doesn't love Jesus and they leave you, they desert you, they say, I don't want to live with you, you're free from that marriage. And I would argue if a person is in a physically abusive relationship and that consists and persists after the elders of the church has worked with that person and, and done everything to counsel that person, that you're probably married to a non-believer. God does not permit you to stay under the roof of someone who is abusing you, physically or emotionally. And if that is the case, you come to the pastor, you say, hey, this is what's going on. My husband, my wife, they're just breaking me down. They're, they're, they're doing this psychological warfare. I can't breathe. I can't move. I can't do anything. And that's when we step in and we say, okay, what's going on? 
God has not called you to be in a situation where there's habitual harm. Amen? We're a big family. We're a big family. If we got to get 30 brothers to show up at a man's house and let it be known, this is our sister. We'll get 30 brothers and we'll show up at that man's house and say, this is our sister. Now look at what Paul says, verse 11. But if she does, or he does, that a Christian leaves the marriage, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. So if a person leaves a marriage, a Christian leaves a marriage, I want to put emphasis on that, a Christian leaves a marriage with another Christian, and it is not for a reason that God is okay with, Malachi uh, teaches us that God hates divorce, it's not for a reason that God is okay with, he says, then you shall remain unmarried or else you should be reconciled. So you have now come to a place where you are now uh, a eunuch, so to speak, a person who is now a, a celibate, unless your spouse and you reconcile and come back together. Then he closes in a husband should not divorce his wife. Last category. First category is we looked at the unmarried and the widow. Second category, we looked at the two Christians. Uh, now we're going to look at a Christian and a non-Christian being married. Okay? A Christian and a non-Christian being married, and one or both, one person wants out. So Paul is addressing the church. This is what's going on in his church, and this is what pastoring is. This is what pastoring is. Pastoring isn't just us coming together, talking about things that we want to hear about, and just having a good time every Sunday. Sometimes pastoring is us opening up God's word and speaking to specific situations that's going on in our life in order that we can have the blessing of God upon our life, the peace of God in our life. Right. Trusting God in tight places. To the rest, I say, I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with them, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. Now, Paul, here he switches. He says, I'm saying this, and this is not the Lord saying this. Now, what is he doing? Is he saying that you don't have to listen here? No, what he's saying is, is that I am giving you wisdom. But Jesus never specifically said these words. Now, he's an apostle anointed by Jesus. All of the Bible is inspired by Jesus. So this is Jesus speaking. But he's saying, this is not a situation that I know of that Jesus specifically said, but this is spirit-led wisdom. So this is, this is still coming under the authority of God. And what is he saying? He's saying if there's a Christian and there's a non-Christian and they're living together and a non-Christian doesn't want, uh, wants to continue to live together, then that Christian should stay in that marriage. That Christian should do everything they can to stay in that marriage, given the other things that we talked about. Why? Let's skip down. Verse 16. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? He says, because God can use you to save that unbelief. Now, a Christian and a non-Christian, we have two completely different worldviews. We see the world through two completely different lenses, and that makes life difficult. There's di a diabolical difference there, we, diametrical difference. We are, we're not uh, uh, seeing things the same way, but, but Paul says if you are able to, and that person consents to, you stay in that marriage for the sake of your spouse. So what did we learn here? We learned that God is able to change the heart of a spouse. He says, look, God may save them. He may save them through your example. He may save them through your love. He may save them through your prayers. He may save them through your Christ-likeness. 
And that's tough. If you're married to a non-Christian, even if they say they're a Christian, but you know they're non-Christian, that is tough. But you can do it. We're going to see why in just a second and how in just a second. Let's deal with this last part of this text. So if a Christian is married to a non-Christian and they consent, they say, I still want to live with you, I still love you, boo, even though we're different. He says, you fight it out, you work it out in order to save them. That's missionary living, that's missional living. As Christians, we have been saved by grace through faith. God has snatched us from darkness into the marvelous light. If we are a Christian and we're bathing in God and abiding in Jesus, those truths do not bore us. Those truths are what we live out of. And we see ourselves as people who have been uh, enlightened, as people who have been blessed. And now we should be living, if we are abiding in God's word, if we are trusting in the Lord, if we are cultivating a growing relationship with Jesus, we should be living on mission. And our hearts should be burning to see people, lost people saved. And it should especially be burning to see a lost husband or wife saved. And if our hearts aren't burning for the lost, if our hearts aren't burning to see our spouse saved, somewhere something is disconnected. When grace no longer overwhelms us, when grace no longer amazes us, when grace no longer captivates us, that's when we need to hit the floor with our face down to the floor. That's when we need to get rid of the little church prayers and we need to cry out, God, help me. I am in a bad place. I need you. I need to. And it happens to us all. It happens to me. It happened to me recently. I was on my face just crying. Where are you, Lord? You just feel so distant. I need you. I can't walk throughout the day like this. Give me you. That's what some of us need to do. Too cute in our walk. Some of us, we need, we need some mascara dropping. We need that, that, ugh, that, that makeupless face that everything's running together worship. We need to close our door and get in our secret place and hide under the shadow of the unmighty. We need to turn off the TV and worship. Controversy verse we're about to read before we close. Right here in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. It says, If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever, he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of the wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean. But as it is, they are holy. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. Let me go ahead and just summarize this real quick. What is Paul saying? He's saying, if you're in a household and a non-believer says, I want to live with you, and you're a Christian and you are able to, meaning that those, those things that we talked about earlier, those exceptions clauses aren't, aren't there, and you, you're able to still be a light and a witness to him. He says, you stay. Why? Because... That house has now became holy and sanctified in the eyes of God. It says your unbelieving husband is now holy and sanctified. Your, your children who are not yet believers are holy and saved. What is he saying? He's saying, are they, are they saved? Do they get to go in heaven because you're at home? No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying that your household is now under the blessing of God because you are a Christian. God's wrath is not set against that household because the Posts have been covered with blood because of you. Your unbelieving spouse is receiving favor and grace unbeknown to them because of you. The reason why everything probably hadn't just completely fallen apart and why they're still breathing may be because of you. Your children now have an opportunity to grow up and to love the Lord because of you. Because they see mama and daddy, they're on two different wavelengths. And, and mama, the way she handles problems and anxiety is by prayer and by fasting and by talking to Jesus. And daddy is by having a mental breakdown every time. So, huh, there must be something to mama's God. There must be something to daddy's God. Because it gives them a peace that passes all understanding. So it may, take some, it may take some time, it may take 20, 30 years, but you, believer, have now put yourself in a situation to have the Holy Spirit capture the heart of your unbelieving spouse and unbelieving children. 
said is sanctified, is holy, those words mean it is separated, set apart. They are separated and set apart because of you. Not in a salvific sense, but in a practical sense. Let's close with this, these thoughts. Now I'm telling you, life is tough. Marriage is tough. Singleness is tough. How in the world do we live missionally while in a situation that we hate? How in the world do we do that? By making Jesus your daily goal. Say that again. If you are in a tight situation, your daily goal should be to connect with Jesus. The only way that you're going to make it through is if your relationship with Jesus takes primacy. No, you got a list, a big to-do list. But if Jesus is not who you're living through and enjoying, you're going to be miserable while doing that to-do list. But if Jesus is who you are finding your joy in, your peace in, your satisfaction in, no matter how tough your to-do list is, you still have a sound mind. Go on a quick journey through scripture. I want to show you this. Psalm 1611. In, the, in your presence there is the fullness of joy at your right hand, pleasures evermore. That's what the psalmist says. Psalm 1611. In, your, in, in God's presence there is the fullness of joy. What you need in this tight type, type place is joy. Not happiness, I'm happy like I'm in the room because I'm happy, right? No. Happiness is circumstantial. Joy is eternal because Jesus is the center. Joy, J-O-Y. Jesus over yourself. And the reason why a lot of us in our tight places we don't have joy is because Jesus isn't our daily goal. in our daily goal, just to spend time with them, to be with them. That's, that's, that's got to be your priority. The only way you're going to love that unbelieving spouse when they are tapping on your last nerve is if you have been satisfied with the presence of Jesus. It's not like a, a recommenda recommendation. This is a must. This is a must for, for people who are doing well in marriage. If your marriage is going well right now and you are cruising and not spending time with Jesus, when tragedy hits, when trials hit, you are going to collapse. John 15 says the same thing. John chapter 15, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love, to remain in his love, remain in his presence. Verse 11, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Joy comes from abiding, remaining in the presence of the Lord. Right after that, John talks about how we are going to be persecuted just like Jesus was. And the only way we're going to remain in the faith is if we've been abiding. It's the theme of the Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Second Corinthians chapter 1, listen to what Paul says. And he's in a tough season where everything has been going wrong for him. And he's writing the church of Corinthians, the second letter. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort which we ourselves are comforted by. 
For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Paul was able to go through so much affliction and have joy. He was able to write his letters with joy and constantly saying, in all things give thanks. He's in prison saying, in all things give thanks. How? Because he received the comfort of God by doing what? By enjoying the presence of Jesus, by cultivating his relationship with Jesus. All of our other relationships must come secondary. What is the greatest commandment? To love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your mind, and all of your soul. What is the second? To love your neighbor as yourself. You cannot love your spouse. You cannot love your neighbor as yourself if you are not loving the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul. And there's many things we can say and and talk about how to do that. We had that on VBS. We had uh, Donna Whitney out, and he gave us some great nuggets. But at the end of the day, it is us humbling ourselves. It's us sitting our butt down. It's us putting our face to the floor. It's us crying out to God and saying, God, help me. Pass me by. Pass me not, O gentle Savior. Close with this. 1 Peter chapter 3. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they're not believers, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respect and pure conduct. Verse 4, But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is, in God's sight is very precious. So again, that's a woman who's married to a non-believer. And Peter says, the, what you have to do in that tough season, what you have to do in that tough season, man, is you've got you've to be in tune with the Lord so that your conduct is transformed. Can't reach an unsaved loved one with jacked up conduct. So you go to Jesus to experience joy, you go to Jesus to experience comfort, and Jesus begins to transform your conduct, so that now when your spouse looks at you, they don't See the old Jew that's constantly in the flesh, that's cutting them back and going rally for rally, but now they see someone who is loving them in spite of them. And now it's your kindness that's drawing them to Jesus. And by the way, Romans chapter 2, verse 4 said, it is God's kindness that leads us to repentance. So being kind to someone, because we've been in the presence of the Lord, is what leads someone to Jesus. That's the message of the cross. God is good. And I know you're in a tight place. I'm just trying to tell you, trust God, pursue Jesus, find joy, be transformed, and watch God work through you. Receive his comfort, and you will be able to comfort others in their time of affliction. And if you question God's goodness for you, which our human hearts may be tempted to do, all you need to do is remind yourself of what God did for you. God, a real person, gave his son for you on a cross. The ultimate act of love. Jesus, a real man, the God-man, willingly died the death that you and I deserved on the cross so that you could have eternal life. He loves you. Get lost in the Lord. Be like Anna. Luke chapter 3. Just got lost in the Lord. Lost her husband. They were married for seven years. And the Bible says that she served in the temple every day praying and fasting, waiting on her redemption, waiting on the redemption of Israel. I don't know if she was in a good marriage before her husband passed or if she was in a bad marriage, but the Bible says that after her husband passed, she just went to the Lord, and it got so good to her, so she just gave her life in celibacy and just served him. Because why? Because the Lord's that good. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good, blessed, happy is the person who trusts in him. Well, you trust them today in tough places. The very thing that you say, all it takes is for my spouse to do this before I leave, is the very thing that Satan is going to try to make happen. 
guard yourself against an attitude that says, if this happens, I'm gone. See marriage as being honorable and esteemed by God. Root yourself in Jesus and live. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for uh, this text, Lord. And I know that there are so many people who are just suffering uh, because, Lord, maybe their wish dreams or their, their life didn't turn out and isn't turning out the way that they wanted. But, God, you are you are enough. Paul said in Philippians chapter 4, Father, that he learned to be content. Teach us to be content. Help us not to slumber in discontentment. Help us not to slumber in what ifs. Help us not to live in, in the next 10 years. Help us to live in now and to love your son, Jesus. Give us relief, Father God. Give us comfort, Lord. Give us you. In Jesus' name, amen.